And welcome back, folks. Uh, we're happy you're joining us here for another evening in the Undertow, uh, the podcast dedicated to the crime and creator-owned comics of Ed Brubaker. Um, tonight's episode, we're going to uh, focus on Velvet, which is the uh, current spy espionage book by uh, Ed Brubaker and artist Steve Epting and colorist Betty Brightweiser. Um, there was just a, a new issue that came out here the last month, and so we've we've went back, we've reread the whole series up to this point. Um, very complex storylines. So we thought it'd be a, a, a good idea to break it down and and kind of do some analysis and, and just talk about this book, which is a great read. Um, there's been some other Brubaker news here recently that we will get into, and uh, then we're also going to offer up some recommendations later in the show of of some different things that we've been enjoying over the last month and. Uh, but anyway, we are, uh, as always, we are available at undertow.podbean.com. Um, we're also available on iTunes. And like, like we always say, if anybody would like to give us a rating on iTunes, we appreciate it. We, we had some of those start rolling in here after the last episode. Um, my name is Robert Watson. Uh, my co-host is Bubba Beasley. Bubba, how are you doing this evening? Doing very well. How are you? I just opened up some uh, Evan Williams Single Barrel. Very nice uh, bourbon that's 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 hitting the spot quite nicely. I hadn't had any of that yet, but uh, got a bottle for my birthday and uh, popped one open for for this evening. And and um, I guess we'll we'll start things off here and kind of get you up to date on on the latest Brewbaker news, um, which in the last week we had we had the Eisner Awards and um, we're anticipating the launch of Killer Be Killed, which is the upcoming book by Ed Brewbaker and Sean Phillips, which is uh, going to be coming out. Real soon, Bubba. I guess just like uh, about a week or so, right? Yeah, as a, as of uh, the time that we're recording, it's a week and a day. It comes out um, Wednesday, August third, and really the the big news uh, that I bulletin bullets that I have uh, for tonight uh, concern um, the the other uh, Brew Baker series. So the his collaborations with Sean Phillips, um, Killer Be Killed, and then looking backwards, the Fade Out, uh, Killer Be Killed. Um, we we see that solicitations keep rolling out not just for august but uh for september and for october uh if you haven't subscribed to ed brubaker's newsletter i'd uh, strongly recommend doing so uh you can do so um through a link that is pinned at the top of his uh, twitter feed um for the uh, twitter handle brubaker b-r-u-b-a-k-e-r though i assume all our listeners know how to spell brubaker um the uh the issue does come out in just over a week, and we've already begun to see advance uh, preview or advance reviews for the issue uh, coming from from uh, individuals and and uh, comic sites that have been getting advanced copies. Uh, Nerdist uh, raised that the first issue is is quote so much darker and more twisted than anybody guessed. It's also freaking glorious and an awesome first issue of a promising new series. Uh, comic. Bastards gives the book a five out of five. Uh, we we have not gotten a, a clear um, and and very uh, precise description of the um, of the premise, other than that uh, the the main character uh, Dylan, a uh, graduate uh, student at NYU, I believe, um, has to has to kill a bad guy of I think his choice or. He himself faces death, so it's kill or be killed quite literally. Um, but the motivation, the premise, 
is not yet clear at all. Uh, previews also continue to, to come out, um, including in the back of issue number 156 of The Walking Dead. Uh, you, we see the same um, extended uh, preview of the same six-page uh, preview of the first issue. Um, and this is actually the second time that a uh, Rubaker uh, Phillips um, comic has been uh, been featured in a preview in, in The Walking Dead, the first time uh, ten, nearly 10 years ago to the month. Uh, the other big news is in uh, for the fade-out. Um, first of all, uh, the... The, uh, toward the end of last month, the end of June, um, there was an advanced solicitation for something I've been long expecting and, and hoping for, a, uh, a deluxe edition of the fade-out. If you're familiar with uh, Brubaker and Phillips' um, works, they, they tend to be released ultimately in this oversized hardcover edition that, for which uh, Sean Phillips is the art director. There have been uh, two for Criminal um, one for Incognito, two for for Fatal, and now one coming up for the Fade Out. Uh, 400 pages, so that does point to um, at least you know 20, 30 pages of extra content. It uh, collects the entire story, and I really do think this is a story that that reads better as one long 12 issue um, uh, narrative as opposed to three uh, four issue uh, act. Yeah, I, I really am looking forward to this and. One thing that Brubaker and Phillips will, will be able to say is that uh, it's the Eisner award-winning story, The Fade Out. Um, the Eisners were announced over the weekend, um, Friday night, and uh, Brubaker was nominated for, for Best Writer. Uh, Betty Brightweiser was nominated for Best Coloring. And the series, The Fade Out, uh, was nominated and, and ultimately won for uh, Best Limited Series. The other big news from uh, Brubaker's newsletter, and then if you if you have the uh, latest issue, issue 15, and you look at the um, the, the letters page from Ed, you'll see that um, this is the end of the first big arc for Velvet, that um, he and Steve Epting will soon be announcing their next big project. That doesn't mean that Velvet is done, but it does mean that it's going on, on an indefinite hiatus for now. Um, and he said, he reported relays that there is uh, more velvet news around the corner but he won't he he hasn't elaborated what um i hinted at this in a blog post at at, at the blog criminal comic blogspot.com but it seems to me that the only news that that could possibly be would be a kind of an adaptation whether it be a uh, a uh, film adaptation or maybe a television miniseries yeah that's definitely something to um keep on the lookout for and uh yeah so like bubba said there's lots of uh lots of upcoming books in the brewbaker world so we you know lots to talk about here in the upcoming podcasts and uh congratulations to the whole team on the uh the eisner win for uh the the fade out and um and yeah that 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 killer be killed preview you know uh it is it is exceptionally dark and, and angry in tone i i would say maybe more so than um Obviously, lots of lots of these noir stories are dark, but this one does kind of seem to have even more of a of an angry tone. And it's just a, a few pages preview, so it'll be interesting to see where that where that's headed from there. Um, we were talking about this earlier, but there was one little thing I noticed in that preview, and it could just be totally in my head, but um, in that three page preview or whatever, there's a couple bodyguards that that Dylan, the main character, takes out in very short order. 
and uh, you know, there's an African American gentleman and a white gentleman, and they they very much resemble, um, or I thought they they resembled Gnarly and uh, Tracy from Criminal, um, which of course it's not those characters, but I thought maybe that was just a little, maybe just a little fun nugget that that Sean Phillips stuck in there, and um, like I said, don't know if that was the intent at all. Um, but just take a look at that preview. It's kind of interesting, and they, they do kind of resemble Gnarly and uh, and Tracy from, from the criminal book. So. Yeah, it's kind of obvious in, in hindsight, and um, I think it's something that, that maybe we could um, – that somebody could ask uh, Sean on Twitter and see if see what kind of answers we get, either Sean or, yeah, or I would head li- up for his newsletter. I know that they're um, – if you, you haven't been reading his uh, newsletter and sending in questions, uh, he's apparently um, – uh, planning on answering two or three questions uh, every every newsletter, you know, with a new issue every, you know, one or two new issues every month. And but anyway, I enjoyed it. Um, whether that was the in- intention or not, it was it was kind of a cool little little tidbit. And anyway, so yeah, we're looking forward to uh, Killer Be Killed. Um, we plan on talking about that a lot next month, as that will that will most likely be our main focus on the podcast um, in August. Yep. Um, and, so and, definitely looking and forward I'm to the launch we, of that we get book. Some of the, that I hope we see more of the the context of this scene. Um, I haven't seen an awful lot uh, of reactions to Justice Preview other than it looks really good. Um, but some of the reactions to the the uh, some of the advanced reviews to the complete issue, you know, mention you know politics, and you can see from this this issue that um, Dylan, the main character from from his you know point of view narration, is that. That the world, quoting quoting the the preview, the world is shit right now. And we all, we all know it. Just look at the news for for five minutes, and it's obvious. Big government controls, big business controls your government. Um, you know, uh, uh, shooting rampages, terrorism, uh, police brutality, psychopaths running for president. Knowing the premise is something like kill kill one bad guy a month, or you get, or you are killed. Sounds something like one hundred bullets. Just turned on its head um this opening preview makes me wonder you know does did he did did dylan just you know kill five guys or four out of five guys needlessly or is that is that money in the bank is it an average do you do (laughs) are you could you go on a rampage and then that 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 takes care of you for the year or or does the the clock reset every month but yeah it's 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 angry and and brutal and um It'll be interesting to see where that where that's headed. But yeah, like you said, hundred bullets, and um, also maybe put you in mind a little bit of Dexter, um, the premise of Dexter, the the show on Showtime yep. a few years back. Um, so yeah, that'll you know we'll, we look forward to reading that when it comes out here in a in a week or so. And um, like I said, that'll be that should be the focus of of future podcasts. And um, but anyway, the future or the uh, the feature of this podcast is uh, we're going to talk about Velvet. Um, Velvet is the spy espionage book um, by Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting, Betty Breitweiser, um, published by Image Comics. We've got 15 issues, and like Bubba said, it looks like it's on hiatus now for the for the time being, And but it sounds like more Velvet stories come in the future. But anyway, it's kind of resolved itself at this point. The arc has, has finished up. Um, it's come out a little bit irregularly. So it's been, you know, it's 15 issues, but that's been spread out over a, a, a lengthy period of time because it hasn't come out very regularly. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a, 
it's a it's a fantastic book and and the artwork is is just spectacular um of course these two work together and are known this team is known for their long run on uh Captain America the you know the famed winter soldier arc that was you know hugely successful and you know spawned the feature film and such so anyway they, these two have reunited um Steve Epting Ed Brubaker for another spy tale this time a creator owned one um that is the book Velvet and you know there's two things you know whenever i read velvet there's two things that come to mind immediately is one is just how much i love steve epting's art which i hadn't read anything by that he had drawn since um winter soldier so anyway you know i just immediately i'm drawn into that world this you know these european locales and and this spy world he just he brings that to life so well and the second thing every time i read velvet i just you know it 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 convinces me that i need to start smoking a pipe <laughs> um, uh, you know, I just I picture myself hanging out in a room with uh, with Tokian and uh, Huck Finn and Director Manning and 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 in a smoky room, and um, there's lots of pipe smoking going on, and and it's it's just a it's a great field of the book. You should check it out if you haven't yet. Um, again, as always, you know there will be spoilers in this conversation. Of course, we're, we're going to break down the spoilers the, this time. Yeah, tons of spoilers. So definitely go read the 15 issues, um, then give this podcast a listen if you haven't done that yet, um, because it's a very very complex plot. We've been working on a flowchart for about a week, you know, to, to to break down the plot, and and Bubba's got a pretty good grasp on it here. And we're going, we're, so we're going to, you know, both kind of talk our way through the plot and uh, give some analysis and, you know, ju- just to kind of sum up the the book, um, it's about Velvet Templeton, who is a former agent, um, who's now kind of a, a Girl Friday type. She's a secretary. You know, think of like a, a money penny. Um, yes, Miss Money Penny. World. Yes. yes. So now she's a secretary, but we know there's that she was an agent in the past. We don't know a lot about her past at the beginning. Um the uh, the group that she works for is called Arc Seven, um, which is they call it a secret remnant of an Allied espionage group from World War Two. Um, so they're British, although I believe Velvet is an American. Correct. Yep. We yep. learn that later. But most of the story, the the bulk of these agents work in London. They're it's a British it's a British spy agency. Um, Ed Brubaker says in the back of one of the books that the idea first came to him in about 2006, and then he had talked with Steve Epting about it. Steve Epting was, you know, very gung ho about the project, and anyway, it was kind of he they had agreed that they were going to do it together. And anyway, then with this current image deal, it it came to fruition. And like I said, we're up to um, we've got 15 issues of the book, and. Uh, Bubba, do you want to kind of just give us a a plot breakdown and and kind of go through and get us squared away on the cast of characters? Sure. I mean, it's it's yeah. If anybody's listening who hasn't read it, read this. Um, yeah, this is uh, spoilerish. So if you want to read the book and come back, please do so. I will say that it is complex. It is intricate. The plot, but it's not obscure. Um, it's one of the these titles that you're going to get out of it what you put into it. You know, if you if you take the time not just to, to see the cool action and there is you know car chases and 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 close quarters combat and that sort of thing. Um, if if you go beyond that to to try to follow what's going on, I think 
I think you'll really dig the plot. And um, you could tackle the, the, the plot and the characters. You know, you could tackle the characters from an org chart standpoint of view. You could tackle the, the uh, plot from a timeline, what happens chronologically as opposed to what is, what is revealed. Um, but just tackling it in terms of, of from Velvet's point of view, um, we do find out about her past in um, dribs and drabs, bits and pieces. But um, in uh, post-war uh, Europe, in, in Switzerland, Velvet, who, who was um, the daughter of an American diplomat, a, a friend of – and this diplomat who is a friend of FDR, he had been sending her to a uh, boarding school in Switzerland. Um, at age 16 in 1946 – she was recruited by ARC-7, which, yes, um, definitely a British-led agency, but yeah, with that not name Allied uh, Reconnaissance Commission, and, and they have a, a, key, um, a, a key office in Paris, and um, not just recruiting from the United States, in the case of Velvet, one of their, their, their high-ranking former members is now a U.S. senator, so, so – Basically, a, a, an agency that that um, covers all of what you would think of as NATO um, in, during the Cold War. Uh, she is recruited in 1946 um, by a training officer, uh, Lady Pauline, who was who was a um, hero during World War II. Um, and Velvet was the first um, female recruit to ARC-7. One of the things that we we learn in this series is the cost of espionage, the personal cost of being pushed around as a pawn on the chessboard. Um, and um, Lady Pauline at, at this point, point was already pretty much an alcoholic because uh, of everything that she had seen and done in, in World War II. You know, a, after Velvet had become a field agent uh, for ARC-7, which I think occurs in 1949, um, after that point, um, a few years later, Lady Pauline essentially commits suicide um, when she's out, out of the agency. That kind of um, uh, caused caused Velvet enough grief that she she kind of let herself be human, got close to another agent um, na- named um, Richard Donovy- Donovan. Uh, Velvet had the codename Valentine, which is mentioned once. Richard Donovan had the codename Mockingbird, and Donovan only comes up once. So, so she got close with um, an agent named uh, Mockingbird, not just physically close, because one of the things we learn is that that sex is a tool and a weapon and and even a lie um, in in the world of espionage. They got emotionally close, and they they were actually uh, they got married on her honeymoon, their honeymoon. Um, she was ordered by the agency, by ARC-7, uh, to kill her husband, uh, Mockingbird, um, in the Bahamas, 1956, because she was told that he was a double agent, a traitor. Um, she did that, and then on a subsequent mission in 1956 in Prague, she killed an escort who had made some crack about Mockingbird. She clearly was falling apart, so she was taken off the field. Uh, about three or four years later, she became the the secretary for the director of 
um, of Arc 7, Director Manning, who had always been a kind of a father figure uh, to her. Um, she thought of him as noble. She she thought of him as as being very paternal in protecting him, her and in hiding her secrets. Basically, nobody at the office knew that she was a, a field agent, um, a former field agent, except those who were who were around at the time. Um, she used her her skills, her intelligence, her nearly photographic memory to be a very good secretary. And the years just passed passed by. Um, about 14 years later, 1973, the the story really kicks off with the murder uh, of a of a friend of hers, another field agent uh, named Keller X14. Uh, she was tenacious in, in in doing her own research into into his uh, his death because it looked like it may have been an inside job. That somebody knew what what his mission was, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and that's the um, that's the opening scene of issue number one. We get this um, this short intro, and it's a narration by this agent X fourteen, um, which kicks off the story. Is him being gunned down, and he's he's got an internal monologue going about Velvet, who we don't know who who she is at this point. But anyway, that kind of kicks off the story of, you know, the 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 main timeline that 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 the book follows is this 1973 death of this this agent and then the book shifts and goes to mostly from Velvet's point of view from then on primarily. Yep. She finds that there's an entire day missing in um one of his uh, expense reports. One of the things about about the agency is that the field agencies, field agents, are, and this is probably the case with a, with a lot of spy agencies, are um, completing reports on everything that they do. So when there's a gap, that becomes a a, a noticeable uh, thing. It becomes suspicious. She had noticed a gap, uh, but before she had the chance to follow up on it. Um, she had found out that that one of basic uh, one of the earlier earliest field agents, Frank Lancaster, X02, so um, secret agent uh, X02, um, who was you know her basically her school crush from from her training days. He had fallen from top field agent to a training officer. He had been Director Manning's Golden Boys. Golden Boy in the fifties, then retired ten years, and there was some question about whether whether he was a traitor. Um, it was uh, the the accusation accusation came in that he was the one who who killed uh, Keller X fourteen. She went to one of his safe houses that were supposedly off the books to find that he had been murdered, um, and. Uh, Sergeant Roberts, the the um, chief of the military unit who's running the internal investigation, he barges in on her. So Keller X-14 is, is murdered, and Lancaster X-02 is framed for it. Then Lancaster is murdered, and Velvet is framed for it. She, she then goes on the run. But she doesn't go on the run into hiding. Um, she goes on the run to, to find out what happened. Uh, Mockingbird had been murdered. By someone within the own within their own agency, that um, basically a conspiracy, because he was looking into to this business. So you have um, 
Mockingbird killed in the 50s for looking into a business. Then Keller looked in, you know, killed in the uh, 70s for looking into the, the same business. And um, to get down to, to, to the bottom, to the very bottom of this, Velvet returns to London, um, kidnaps Director Manning, straps a fake bomb to him, and basically causes a bomb scare in the Arc 7 headquarters so she can infiltrate the headquarters and uh, place a phone call from the, uh, from the director's um, private phone to um, have have a uh, former spy released from a high-security insane asylum. Uh, this former spy, uh, Damien Lake, he is not the central villain of this story by any stretch, but he's definitely a, an antagonist, um, is definitely one of the more da- dangerous pieces in the game. Um, he yeah he was a he was a very compelling character i thought damien lake you know that because you just couldn't um it was so ambiguous as to whether he was good bad or crazy and indifferent you know you just you, you really it took a long time before you got a grasp on you know what's this guy's story and uh so i, I thought he was a very captivating character in 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 the in the arc yes uh, uh, very captivating charismatic dangerous um easy to underestimate and and um really at very much velvet's equal in, in terms of skills and yeah and one yeah. one other thing i was going to one other thing i was thinking of while you were going through the timeline that's kind of interesting is um the velvet we see um after her tenure as the secretary you know she's you know, she's, you know, for lack of a better word, she's just a badass. And she's basically completely, um, you know, singularly focused and, and on, you know, basically alone doing her own thing and making her own decisions. So it's interesting that obviously bef- when she was married, she must have been, this independent streak must not have been there because she, you know, think about that. She followed an order to kill her husband on her honeymoon. I mean, um, and she didn't. She didn't just do it instantly. I mean, she did kind of. Uh, she kind of covertly tracked him and followed him and, and thought he was up to something. But it was interesting that she would follow that order because the velvet we see um, in the seventies, you know, she's not. She's not an order follower. I mean, she's and she she talks about that as how you know the, you know that spies, you know how they don't want to follow orders. They'll follow um, orders, but never rules. They. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great line, the follow orders but never rules. And so then that's, you know, with her, it's like, like I said, she's got this independent streak that it's hard to imagine that, you know, 20 years prior or whatever, that she would, um, you know, take this order to, to kill her husband on her honeymoon, you know. So anyway, there's obviously been a change in her in her, her character and her personality in that time, you know, because what we're seeing later on is not the same person that would do something like that, really. Yeah, and that's, that's something that I've... I don't think I picked on picked up on quite as much, but that's that's absolutely right. And and what I I found from that whole scene was, in retrospect, the irony of um, her deciding to to follow that order um, because he she did see uh, Mockingbird uh, Donovan in, engaging in suspicious behavior, and he was he was investigating. Um, he, he was in, investigating what ended up being the, a conspiracy against the the agency behind the agency. 
which she ends up doing the same thing later on, but it took her a couple more decades, you know, to get to that point. And, and so, yeah. And one of the things she does is, is break Damien Lake out of the insane asylum. And when she does so, we get three different stories about what he's doing in there. Um, The official uh, cover, the, the official story, which is, uh, definitely a cover story is that he was the only survivor of a KGB hit of the Paris code station that he was overseeing. Um, and what, um, what Lieutenant director Simonson tells Sergeant Roberts, you know, the, the, that internal investigator seems to be the real story is that he, he actually killed, he was the one who killed the uh, seven people in the station. Um, and I'll explain why in a moment, but what he tells velvet is, is, a lie that cont- probably contains an awful lot of truth, and this lo- this this complex lie, I think, is the is the key to understanding the whole story. That understanding that he had been imprisoned, uh, or yeah, institutionalized for about fourteen years, so nineteen fifty nine, three years after um, Donovan was killed in in fifty six, he he tells velvet without without much prompting so he's not guessing what she wants to hear it seems like she he tells him an awful lot of the truth that mockingbird was investigating an international conglomerate named titanic holdings and three years later you know right right in 1959 when lake um kills everybody in the code station and gets gets institutionalized he uh came across that same company and what these um, the this company obviously is a is a front company, like like the sort of front companies that agencies have, um, you know where intel is very hard to find. But um, the one bit of intel that he had was that uh, the first board meeting included a name called Pierre Dupre, who was at, which was a cover ID for a member of the uh, Vichy. But since it was a cover ID, he knew, okay, there's a connection to ARC-7, found that the file uh, on this guy had been scrubbed, and he realized that there was a conspiracy. What appears to have happened is he killed the, the seven people on the team that was investigating with him to, to cover up um, that investigation for the sake of the conspiracy as a way to, to join it. He wanted to, as he put it, buy into the game within the game or the game behind the game. He wanted to join the conspiracy. After um, 14 years, uh, he still wants to join, but he also um, enacts revenge against the then head of the uh, the, the Paris field office, uh, Jean Bellinger. Uh, he uses Velvet as bait to get to Bellinger and then um, shoots uh, uh, Roberts and Director Manning in London. And that's what happens when, at the end of the second arc, Damien Lake has left a note for Velvet after using her of welcome to the real game. And knowing, you know, that there really is a conspiracy behind the conspiracy, uh, behind the agency, that there's an agency behind the agency. Um, and really feeling fear for the first time in this entire, um, in, in this entire story, in the, that last arc, she is working in Paris, um, undercover, doing more research into into that agency by working um, 
by working for an investment manager, again, as a secretary. So she, there's this very funny line that assistants rule the world. She seduces um, one KGB or um, one Russian um, agency's uh, uh, director's assistant in order to get the information that she needs because it, it's really the assistants and secretaries who, who know the details of what's going on realized that she needed to go um, into the uh, into the United States to really figure out what was going on because what what really started the the whole thing was not Keller's initial or Keller's investigation in Europe when he ended up getting killed but the event that started the investigation something happened in the United States she got an act, got access to his last few case files um, in the US so she um, basically uh, uh, smuggled herself into New York from there, made her way to, to D.C., and um, unraveled the, the mystery. Uh, Keller had been working with or um, had been following and, and um, getting close to a diplomat secretary, and the few missing hours had to do with uh, the uh, key to a hotel room, and Velvet finds out very, very late that this hotel room um, is called the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. Keller was there um, apparently as part of the team breaking into the Watergate. And um, she then then um, blackmails Vice President Gerald Ford in order to um, sp spike the drink of President Richard Nixon um, in order to, to isolate him, get him alone, tranquilize him. There's a very funny line where he says, yes, I just tranked the president, um, and kidnap him and drug him long enough to find out what's really going on. And what she finds out is that this conspiracy, the Titanic Holdings conspiracy, had apparently either orchestrated the what the uh, Watergate break-in, or my, my thought is more likely they found out about it because if, if it came out of nowhere, that's hardly leverage against Nixon. They found out about it um, and tipped off the police and basically tried to blackmail Nixon uh, for leverage. The way they tipped off the police was that they used their old, um, their old agent, Lancaster. Keller saw Lancaster at the... Um, at the the Watergate Hotel, it was Lancaster who approached Nixon about blackmail, um, and the whole the the whole story starts for Velvet's point of view when um, when the conspiracy kills Keller, frames Lancaster, and kills Lancaster, and doing both of those by killing both of those men, they basically cover up the entire their entire involvement in Watergate. Um, she figures out. She not only figures out all of this, she figures out the question that Damian Lake keeps raising. Why why do is he, you know, even though he is now part of the conspiracy, why is he now allowing Velvet to live? You know, when so many um, other agents and um, and so many other people are being killed left and right, he goes out of his way to keep her alive and she figures out that um, she is being recruited. That her former boss, Director Manning, um, did not die. He had faked his own death, and in response, uh, with help from from one of the the other um, agents who doesn't like being lied to, a uh, man named Colt, who I've 
don't think I've even mentioned. Um, with another agent's help, she fakes her own death, uh, follows the presumed dead Manning uh, to a safe house where he runs into the into where he meets with Damien Lake, uh, and they talk about the presumed dead Velvet, and she kills Lake, confronts Manning, and Manning offers her a position within this grand conspiracy. This conspiracy was with that um, that Frenchman uh, Dupre, which you know, uh, what is whatever his real name is, uh, Dupre recruiting three of the top guys in Arc Seven, including Jean Bellinger, uh, the the head of the Paris station that 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 Damien Lake killed. Now Senator Heller, Hillerman, who is high up in the U.S. government, and Director Manning, he recruited them. Um, to run an agency behind the agency so that they could not only um, manipulate the government actions of, of the enemies of the, um, the Warsaw Pact and you know, Soviet, Union, Soviet bloc, that sort of thing, but that they could influence their own governments. Manning uh, makes an offer to, to Velvet to, to join uh, this group to really make her mark on the world and her – and that idea of her making a difference really was the big motivation for her um, for her joining Arc Seven in the first place, and probably part of the reason why um, she was so tenacious in this entire um, in the this entire story. But being offered it on the basically on the, the the corpses of her husband and friends and loved ones, she refuses and uh, and, and kills uh, Director Manning. And she, yeah, that's such a that's such a classic shot that um, the you know really uh, hats off to Steve Epting for that shot. There's this this frame that Bub is talking about where after Velvet takes out Director Manning, Damian Lake, where she's leaving the the apartment or room that they're in, and there's just this shot of this glass with the lipstick smeared on it in the foreground. Lake and Manning are lying dead in the background, and she's kind of sneaking out sneaking out of the room and it's just it's just a it's a killer shot for sure yep so a woman presumed to be dead kills the director presumed to be dead um leaving as best as i can tell unless that that uh, dupre guy um is still around um it, it leaves arc seven the agency intact but does destroy the conspiracy and simonson is uh sure that he knows that is sure that colt um helped velvet and he says, just as I'm sure we haven't seen the last of our dear departed Miss Templeton. And Colt replies, it's actually Ms., sir, Ms. Templeton. And, um, yeah, just as I can tell, um, Velvet is back in the Bahamas, uh, one of her favorite places in the world. Yeah. You get that great line there at the end of the arc where she says, uh, she's talking to the bartender, I guess, you know, and she just says, oh, I'm taking a little break for now. Um just a, a a classic closing line to close out this very complex arc. And it's just, I mean, as you can tell from Bubba's description, we're talking just a huge cast of characters. This is as complex as it gets, basically. I mean, uh, so, I, you know, but I, I, and I should, re- I should re- and he's critical to the story. And I, and I don't think is. I mentioned Maximilian Dark or, um, or the, the uh, smuggler Burke. And those were probably my two favorite characters. <laughs> I loved Burke. Yeah, there's a there's a real funny exchange between Velvet and Burke that I was going to bring up too. But there's just you know, and I should reiterate, it's like 
this is a super complex book that that obviously needs to be read and reread. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, you can, you, you know, you can just read it through and still, it's still an enjoyable read, even if you don't understand every single facet. I mean, the, the cast of characters is so complex that it, that it is hard to get the timeline squared away in your head. Um, but anyway, it's worth repeated readings and, uh, and ultimately it all, you know, it all, it all adds up and there's, there's a good payoff at the end. Yep. And in the meantime, uh, the action is incredible. The, the mood setting that that Epting, Epting uh, has with with his artwork that you know, you're right his his artwork cannot be um, downplayed. Um, it's so good, yeah. and it may be. Is this the? Um, I mean, how many comics do you have? Uh, Gerald Ford getting a BJ as a central uh, a turning point in the plot. I mean, that's is this the? You know, how many how many comics out there use that as a as a plot point. So that's, you know, it's, that's worth a read in in and of itself. So far this year, I think Um, it was the only one so far this year. It's the only, it's the only one that's, that's coming to mind right now, but, um, there's the, the, you know, another cool thing they do that I wanted to mention, which is done in other books as well, but it it works really well is they've, um, they've got this, you know, they'll start with a, an opening scene, and then they'll work their way into a, a title page that's often a two-page spread. Sometimes it's just one page. Sometimes it's two page. I I particularly love the two-page spreads, um, and it gives this intro kind of a cold open feel, like a TV show. So you know, it puts you in mind of like an X Files cold open or Breaking Bad, uh, and, it, and it works really well. Within the first issue, you get this X fourteen cold open where you see him gunned down. He's talking about Velvet. You don't know who that character is. Then you get this two-page title spread. Then it jumps back and, and and you get an idea of who Velvet is, but it works really really well. Um, that was a cool effect they did. And then there's there's a whole bunch of you know we're t- we've been talking about the artwork just a little bit. There's there's just a whole bunch of cool little details that they do. There's these there's a montages of Velvet's various spy escapades through the 40s and 50s that are real cool. You get all these different locales: East Berlin, Monaco, Italy, Tunisia, Prague. And uh, so you get these establishing shots of these cities, usually something recognizable in the in the geography of the city, that that works really well. Um, they also do the, a, a cool effect that they'll kind of circle an image within the frame to emphasize some part of it, and it, and it works really well. Um, you know when she's you know, taking stock of a, of a room and, and noticing a detail as a spy would do, you know, it'll zoom in on that section. It'll have it circled separately. And I, I like that effect quite a bit. It's almost, um, it's almost like augmented reality that bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course, um, Elizabeth Brightweiser, the, the colorist that, that, that Brew Baker is working with, um, all the time now, you know, she has some fantastic work in this book. Um, especially like on those establishing shots of the cities I took note are just really, really good. There's lots of rainy London streets where, you know, the lights reflecting off the, the pools of water that are just, they're just gorgeous. And a lot of it lets us, us get into the, um, the, the character's head, particularly velvet. But as you say, she's not the, the only one with a, um, most of the story is told in her first person uh, POV narr- narration. Um, but it begins with Ke- Keller's narration. There's an entire issue that's split only between narration between uh, Roberts, Sergeant Roberts, and the field agent Colt. And that happens at a, at a perfect time when uh, Velvet has 
come back to London and she's kidnapped, um, kidnapped detector, the director Manning and nobody had, and as a reader, you have no idea what, where she's going with it. And Brubaker takes that as a perfect opportunity to make you wait, to, to ratchet up the suspense and to, to find out along with Roberts. Oh, there's, there's Manning with a picture of him holding today's newspaper and a bomb strapped to his chest. Hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, you have to wait to the next issue for, for that to be explained and resolved. But you, you get into their heads, um, and, yeah, it's worth rereading to, to understand the conspiracy, but you don't have to read more than once to, to understand the person. And there are some things that make, that, that make the series um, tougher, I think, to, to, to grasp some of Brubaker's other creator-owned works, I would say the um, use of high-tech, you know, uh, um, almost science fiction-y technology. There's this bulletproof flight suit that Velvet uses uh, very... <laughs> She's in it all the time. She's in it all... She flies more than Superman. Yep. Some of the scenes that are being described after the fact, you see the narration, you see what's being described, What's being described isn't completely accurate. You know, there the the lies that uh, Damian Lake tells about what he was doing before he got uh, institutionalized. You know, though they're illustrated, even though they didn't happen. Um, you see it both. You see it both ways, and yeah. you don't know which one's actually accurate. Yep. So so it's and there was one scene in the fade out that that particularly un, if in hindsight should undermine uh, the cre- the narrator's credibility. And it's really interesting to do that when you don't change art styles, when you don't make things psychedelic or, or wonky in, in the art, but it does make you start, start jumping in shadows. It does make you start uh, questioning things, but over and against that, the one thing you don't question is, is velvet. You also don't question the other characters when you're inside their heads. You know the the bad guys. You never have first person narration from the bad guys from who you find out who are the bad guys, um, because they they are inscrutable really until the very very end. Um, both both the um, rogue director Manning and the very very um, challenging and sophisticated uh, antagonist of, of Damian Lake. But you you, you know I'd mentioned Velvet Mint. Velvet describes what gets in trouble, what gets her in trouble, you know, the frustration, the inability to let go. The, she also mentions when she's trying to escape the, the adrenaline rush that she had forgotten about from being a spy and, you know, her natural, um, uh, her learned skill of compartmentalizing, that you have four or five different threads going on at the same time, you know, uh, and here again, we ha- we see her point of view with those uh, circled in shots instead of focusing on a detail uh, of the scene it brings up something from from velvet's own mind either a training diagram from her uh, from her days um, being a trainee or a mental map of of uh, London planning her escape route and she talks about you know we had mentioned her being subversive uh, following orders uh, uh, that that spies follow orders not rules like other people and you really get an idea of the the thrill 
of being a spy, but also the tremendous emotional toll, toll that it that it takes. Oh, the other cool um, artifact that I like that they did is uh, in the layouts. If you notice, like when the um, when the action sequences would kick in, the the frames would shift to this kind of angular diagonal pattern that was that varied from the from the the normal perpendicular square boxes that we're used to seeing, and that that was kind of a cool effect that they did too. And there's a lot of great, you know, there's just some there's some great Brubaker lines in there, um, like uh, a couple I had written down. Oh, she says uh, she's talking about her, Velvet's talking about her her affair with X fourteen, and she says no one enjoys a one night stand quite like a man about to go on a suicide mission. Um, I thought that was a good line, and then. Oh, and then uh, Director Manning is talking about um, Frank Lancaster when they're framing him for, for the death of X-14. He says, we've seen what happens to spies when they live long enough to get old. And uh, oddly enough, for some reason, the theme song to Never Say Never Again came into my head when I when I heard that line. <laughs> um, oh, Nixon calls the bathroom the latrine, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and then the, the good line, the, the line about spies that we talked about earlier, they hate to follow rules, but they're good at following orders. I thought that was a, a real powerhouse. Um, oh, and she says, you shouldn't be sleeping with East German spies anyway. It's just not healthy. I think that might be to Burke, the Burke character we haven't really talked about, but he's, he's a funny character too. Well, and that, uh, kind of a smuggler that Velvet teams up with to, to help her once she's on the, on the lamb. You know, and and one thing that struck me you know, uh, is that in the um, in that last letter, Brubaker says that we have more. Well, and and I think it's worth reading what he actually said here at the uh, at the very end about having more uh, more planned. Is um, he writes, uh, "Don't worry, this is not in this is not the end. In fact, there are lots of cool velvet news that I can't talk about yet, which will." We'll speculate on in a moment. Uh, Steve and I are starting work on a new project, but we plan to return to Velvet hopefully soon and often. I have a lot more stories to tell about her. I mean, we haven't seen what she did in the 80s yet, right? So keep your eyes peeled for the announcement of our new project, and we'll have more Velvet news in the back pages there. Um, the the idea of telling more stories, I would love to, to, to see what happens next. And one of the things that I like is so many of the despite the carnage at particularly at the end with with the two big adversaries of Manning and Damian Lake uh, taken out um, of what I what I like is how many interesting characters are still on the board um, Burke the smuggler Colt the uh, field agent who is still still within the agency these are guys that that I would um, would very much, like to, to follow again or meet again in another velvet story but it's also striking just how much um how much was expended in this story the the training sequences the the um story of where velvet had to uh was given orders to to kill her own husband and there she yeah, you know, those are those could be full arcs in and of them in and amongst themselves easily yes I thought the same thing, you know, yeah, that her, you know, her as a teenager getting recruited by ARC-7, you know, it's like, well, you could read, you know, I think several issues could be dedicated to that, and then, yeah, her her on her honeymoon, um, and then getting a hit, getting an order to, to kill her husband, I mean, 
I mean, that's dramatic stuff for sure. And it's it's amazing the amount of material that was packed into these 15 issues that, that like you said, those could be expanded upon. And, and he's talking, you know, and then Brubaker's mentioning Velvet in the 80s, which is, of course, you know, a decade that we don't see anything of in this arc. So um, I, I definitely do think it's ripe for for more stories this world they've it's a complex world they've created and and there's so many characters that um and all these characters have depth you know director manning i was i was very sympathetic towards him really the bulk of the book i i didn't really see him as the villain you know he was consistently kind of represented as being on velvet's side uh, and seemed to be a, a character that genuinely cared about her, which, you know, once again, these complex characters, even though he ends up ultimately being kind of the bad guy or the antagonist, um, you know, there's there's good good and bad in all, in all of the characters, you know. So it's, you know, it's the, the complex characters that we've, that have become, we're so used to with these um, Brubaker comics. And, and the funny thing is, is that that most endearing trait about him, his his care for Velvet, I think actually is genuine. Um, I was thinking of, uh, you know, <laughs> I would almost say I don't get into a lot of spy fiction if only because I don't watch a lot of James Bond movies and I certainly don't go out of my way to, to watch the next one and be there first in line, that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I, I really love the, um, the usually lighthearted show Burn Notice on USA that, um, that, became dark as necessary and really really like archer which you know it ha- it's a raunchy comedy but you know set its premise is um in a spy agency but but what what this this entire arc reminds me of is actually the the spy story in um in star trek deep space nine which for a sci-fi show it it was really quite political because it was grounded it was set in a station so you you have much longer arcs you have arcs that that cover all seven years the show was on and you have not only recurring recurring civilizations planet species you have recurring characters and the premise is you know after this this occupation of um this one planet by by its its kind of brutal neighbors after they they pack up and leave they leave the space station intact that the Federation and Starfleet, you know, occupies at the request of the provisional government to help to help keep the peace. They leave behind the space station and they leave behind one of their own um, who we come to find out is a is a former spy and now a, a, a tailor, you know, a, a Cardassian named Garrick, who's this this who describes himself as plain, simple Garrick and. I learned, you know, over over his arc, you you in, end up hearing a lot of the same ideas about about espionage. Um, his friend, the kind of naive Starfleet doctor, you know, after learning that he's a spy and hearing all of the the lies that he's telling to to cover up, um, to to cover up his real backstory, Bashir tells him the the, um, the story of the boy who cried wolf, and. and Garrick tells him that's a fascinating story, but but probably you know a little violent for for children because you know the the wolf ended up eating the little the little shepherd boy, and, and the doctor explained you know the 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 moral of the story is that if you tell a lie enough times, people will stop believing you, and Garrick said, you, is that really the moral of the story? And and the doctor says, what else could it be? 
never tell the same lie twice. And and he he has this relationship. He was on the outs, very much like this Damian Lake character. He was on the outs from from the uh, spy agency, the Obsidian Order, but had a very very close relationship with um, with the man in charge of the Obsidian Order, much like the the relationship with between between Velvet and, and Manning. And they didn't see see eye to eye, and it it was kind of like a a family breakup when they didn't when they had to go their separate ways when they did some very hard things you know for their own purposes against against essentially family members and i i think i saw that in in manning at the very end velvet decides that the price of of all of the sacrifices she's already made and would make to to um to join this rogue agency is too high and the um and the agency's actions are immoral of trying to to control not you know your own allied government it's the the bloodless clue bloodless coup idea that she 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 shoots and kills manning and he looks not only surprised that she did so, but genuinely hurt. No, it's it's a powerful, yeah, it was a powerful climax in that book. And that's, yeah, that Deep Space Nine analogy, that's interesting. That's um, that's a show I need to revisit. I, I watched it when, it when it originally aired, but I was uh, relatively young. And um, that's on kind of on my list of shows to revisit. Well, it, it stands up, and I would say the same thing about Velvet that I would say about Deep Space Nine is that, you know, they're the the surface enjoyments from episode to episode, or in the case of Velvet, issue to issue, but it it rewards that investment. You're going to get out of it what you what you put into it. Exactly, and, and the first time, you know, I read it as it came out monthly. Um, what we you know we've mentioned before, it was a fairly irregular schedule, and it's such a complex book that. Um, at times, that did make it difficult to to kind of keep up with this this complex plot. But it was, like I said, it was still just an enjoyable read. You know, you could just pick up an issue um, and read through it. And I mean, the action scenes are great. The artwork's fantastic. It's a fun read. Um, but then, if you go back and 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 actually, you know, get down to the to the to the nitty gritty and take notes, the, you know, it reveals a lot more. There's so much more going on there, and so many little details. Such a big cast of characters that it, it rewards you. Um, upon rereading it, and there's you know it's a it's a serious it's a serious book, um, but there you know like there you know like most Brubaker books there's a few humorous uh, sections you know did did anything jump out at you Bubba that that you thought was was that kind of made you laugh when you were reading this rereading this? Well, it sounds like you you want to mention Burke and and um, please by well, I had that that was one that was one I had in mind but I have another too so you take whatever you need. Yes, yes, Vienna, Austria. Um, this is toward the very beginning of issue number three. Uh, Burke, the smuggler that um, who had been working since World War II, um, had helped Velvet get out of London, and this wasn't merely to escape uh, apprehension. It was to, to start the investigation of what, what was really going on. Um, and uh, Burke and Velvet, and, and if you want to talk about uh, resemblances in the um, – in the Killer Be Killed preview, my thought about Burke was that he actually looked a good bit like a, a Lee Marvin type character, like a Park yeah. Point Blank 
or whatever Parker's fake name in that movie was from, from Point Blank. So uh, a, a tough guy that, yeah, all, all you need to know is is this the um, the dress shirt, the uh, sports coat, and the cigarette dangling out of his mouth. So, <laughs> but so he and uh, Velvet are standing at a dock um, there in the river, um, you know, with uh, with two mobsters um, pointing a gun at at them. Uh, Burke says, "I fucking knew this was a shit idea." Velvet replies, "It was your idea." Burke says, "Right, let's just leap straight to bloody finger pointing." You needed a boat. I got us a boat. Velvet says, "You mean you you mean stole one from Austria's biggest crime lord?" Burke replies, "I said it was a shit idea." No, <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that exchange. Yeah, I wrote down the exact same thing. Um, that uh, that exchange was the timing on it worked really really well, and um, the funny line I had, and I don't have the exact line in front of me, but. Uh, I alluded to earlier, you know, the the Gerald Ford getting a BJ thing. Um, any any book that manages to work the term sexual congress into it is, you know, is is a win in my book. And so, and then explain what sexual Bru- congress means too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, you know, Brubaker worked sexual congress into the term, uh, into into the book. While you know, and then the the irony is that she's talking to a politician about him having sexual congress. So there's the you know the the double the double meaning of of Congress there, and you know I, you expect that maybe in like a Cormac McCarthy novel or something, but you know in a comic book that's that's pretty high Tony to to work that into that. So that I got a kick out of that. So anyway, that's you know that's that's kind of our rundown of of Velvet, which is the uh, Ed Brubaker Steve Epting spy espionage um, comic from Image Comics that that we're you know we're looking for more in the future, and um, as Bubba alluded to earlier. There is supposedly news on the horizon about that, which we're speculating may be some sort of adaptation. Uh, real quick, Bubba, did you have say this? They announced this is an adapt film or TV adaptation. Who do you think? Who do you think would make a great Velvet? Uh, the one name that came came to mind immediately is Jennifer Connelly. I think she she is not only about the right age and, and physically, you know, the the the. Um, kind of traditionally beautiful uh, long-haired brunette I think she naturally carries the the intelligence and the strength uh, uh, of a character who would have to to carry this carry a, uh, a premise like this yeah I can't see it I, yeah it would have to be an episodic TV series I mean I there's so much here that um, trying to tackle this in a movie seems like a nightmare but yeah it, it seems ripe for a you know the the current trend of these, you know, short run uh, cable Netflix type type series where you get you know eight to ten episodes or whatever for a season. I think it's ripe for ripe for something like that. Yeah. So and I and I honestly um, think that sort of format would would allow um, uh, uh, allow the writers room to to flesh out some of these scenes that were that I think we're shocked were only flashbacks or a single issue. I could see. An episode or two devoted entirely to to that um, that betrayal in the Bahamas. Um, so anyway, we'll stay tuned to that, and I'm sure uh, you know Brew Baker will keep us abreast on on that news. And like I said, we're just speculating at this point, but uh, yeah, we're big fans of Velvet. And uh, did you have any Bubba? Did you have any recommendations that you wanted to uh, throw out there this month before we wrap things up? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's uh, Chew, another book from Image, and I would say. 
that it's my approach to it is, has been I've always seen it on the menu as kind of the the counterpoint to books like like the Fade Out, Criminal, and Velvet, where those books are very serious with unexpected moments of comedy. Chew is a book that is very humorous with unexpected moments of uh, of deadly seriousness. And um, if if you get the um, the Image Plus magazine that comes with uh, the monthly uh, almost phone book magazine called Previews, um, you might have seen there's a uh, four page explanation of what Chew is as it in, enters not only the home stretch but as it wraps up its its entire uh, um, epic story. And just as I earlier recommended uh, Transformers versus G.I. Joe by Tom Scholey, as it was wrapping up, wanted to, to make our listeners aware of a story that, that it's not too late to get, get on board uh, to get on board with. Uh, the premise is um, is that the main character is a uh, named Tony Chu, C H U, though the um, t- the comic is titled Chu C H E W, and he's a sebopath, uh, which means he's able to get. And I'm reading from the preview. He's able to get psychic impressions from what he eats. Um, and over the course of sixty issues of Chu, Tony's going to eat a lot, a lot of weird shit. Um, it's this the whole psychic impressions thing is you take the premise of the dead zone. Where, where the main character was able to get a, an impression of where an object has been or what has happened what around an object by, by touching it, by holding it. Tony Chu gets the, the same impression from, from ingesting that object, from eating it. And when he's investigating crimes and the main body of evidence is a literal body, is a corpse, sometimes a rotting corpse, so that means he has to to do some very awful things to to um, to get to the the bottom of the mystery. And taking that premise of a psychic investigator with food related abilities, the the creators have created this entire world with a focus on on food. It's a world where um, chicken has been outlawed. Um, you know, poultry and chicken have been outlawed because of a an outbreak of avian flu that was very, very deadly. And because of that, that um, outbreak and that prohibition, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, is now the most powerful agency on Earth. And um, pretty much every issue comes up with, one, with another food-related ability, whether it's you know, making – Deadly weapons, swords and throwing stars and even guns out of chocolate or um, creating living bodyguards out of jello. It's um, the way the description goes is there are all manner of people with strange and amazing food related abilities, some stranger than others and some more dangerous than others. And um, over the of course, Chew isn't just about food. It also has all the other good stuff you want from a comic, sex, violence, drugs, drama, a bionic homicidal secret agent rooster and other fun stuff. That uh, bionic homicidal secret agent rooster has really been the the breakout character of the series, a uh, character named Pollo, who was this kind of luchador uh, chicken, um, who became essentially the six million dollar man of luchador chickens, and he is the most badass character, not only in this series but pretty much in all of comic books. And I I can't wait for the uh, for the day where we finally see the crossover with between Pollo. 
and, and fang the kung fu werewolf. And I'm gonna, you know, for as far as my recommendation this month, I'll I'll stick with the uh, Image Comics theme. That's since that's what we've been talking about. Uh, the the recommendation I was going to make was uh, Lazarus, which uh, with you know the creator. It's created by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark, which are familiar to uh, most Brubaker fans. They um, worked on Gotham Central with with Ed. Uh, Michael Lark also drew Scene of the Crime, which is another great read. That another book that Ed wrote. Um, it was launched in 2013, uh, like um, like Velvet. It's you know a female protagonist in kind of a traditionally male role, um, and it's also it's suffered a little bit from an, an, an irregular release schedule. It's been you know it's been very irregularly, and it's a complex story as well. So it's you know it, it shared and it has about roughly the same amount of issues as as Velvet. Um, and so it, it's another book that, that works well if you go back and reread it, but they've, you know, uh, I really have to, uh, give credit to Greg Rucka. The, the world building that he's done is, is pretty incredible. It's a, it's a dystopian storyline, um, which of course there's, you know, tons and tons of dystopians, of dystopian books and comics out there. But anyway, this one to me at least stands out from the pack. Um, you have this world the world is divided um, among economic lines. So there's just this handful of families that have power all through the world. And each family has uh, this kind of genetically engineered protector, which is their, called their Lazarus, which is basically raised as a member of their family. So this Lazarus um, is forever Carlisle, is this, the, the female protagonist. And she is essentially the protector of the family, but she's... Um, was raised as a member of the family, so she sees the you know the rest of the family as her brothers and sisters, father and mother. Um, and like I said, it's it's an original take on a, on a dystopian storyline. Uh, Greg Ruck is obviously a very very smart guy, um, but you know the book reads it's not like he doesn't just write it just to sound smart. You know it actually serves a purpose, and there's the just this great care given to the to the back matter. You get these these uh, t- family timelines in the back matter that, that show the, the various years. There's even the a, a nice touches on the back cover of each comic. There's um, basically a fake advertisement that looks just incredibly realistic, but it, it it's from a company that, that shows up in the book. Um, so anyway, they've taken great care in, in assembling this book. It's a good read, and uh, you know it's not Brubaker-esque at all. Um, with the exception of of the you know the artwork, but it's a it's a good read, highly recommended. And like I said, it if you go back and reread all of the issues in a row, I think you'll get more from the story. Um, reading them monthly is a little bit tough because they do come out fairly irregularly. But anyway, that's the uh, Lazarus would be my recommendation this month. Chew would be Bubba's recommendation this month. And uh, like I said, we're we're uh, looking forward to next month diving into Killer Be Killed. Uh, which is the big uh, Brubaker Sean Phillips book coming out next month. Um, we're happy you've uh, spent this evening with us here in the Undertow. Uh, again, you can find us online on iTunes or at undertow.podbean.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Undertow Podcast. And uh, anyway, we're going to sign off for this month. I want to thanks a lot, Bubba, for uh, joining me this evening. Absolutely. I, I've had a ball. All as usual, even if I didn't have a Guinness. I couldn't touch the Guinness tonight. It was just too complex. I didn't. I, I had to be sharp, had to have all of my 
my neurons firing simultaneously, and even then. I th- I think that was a good call. I mean, this is as this is as complex as comic books get. I think, and uh, so anyway, we yeah we look forward to uh, seeing what the future holds for Velvet, and uh, like I said, we'll be back next month with with Killer Be Killed, and we're you know the evening's getting late, so we'll sign off for now, and uh, we will see you on down the road. <laughs> 